Parents and guardians, it's time once again for the Fearless Parenting Show. Well, 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 welcome to the Fearless Parenting Podcast. Today I have Pastor Scott LaPierre. He's the senior pastor of Woodland Christian Church in Woodland, Washington. He's a regional facilitator for church and family life, an author, and a conference speaker. Pastor Scott holds of MA in Biblical Studies from Liberty University. Scott and his wife, Katie, have nine, count them, nine children, and they are passionate homeschooling advocates. Scott is a former school teacher and Army officer. Now, Pastor Scott has forgiven me, and he still goes speak to me, even though I, I was a Navy officer. And let me tell you, I have much love for him just for that. I want you to also know that Pastor Scott is an advocate of marriage and finances in the family household, so much so that he wrote a book on marriage, and he's also written a book on finances, which is coming out soon, and I'll have him speak to that. So without further ado, here is Pastor Scott. Pastor Scott, welcome to the Fearless Parenting Podcast. Glad to have you here, brother. Thank you, Stan. I'm I'm glad to be here too, and I'm glad to have this time with you and all your listeners. Yeah, even even though you you know I made that comment about the army, I, I want to let you know my dad was uh, E7 in the army, and boy did he give me a hard time uh, when I moved from enlisted to officer. Uh, he had told me that I was going from working for a living to not working for a living. <laughs> you know. But, he, never, he couldn't have been more prouder when I came I home, Army or not. I bet. Thank you for your uh, service. You know, so, you know, and thank you for yours. You know, Pastor Scott, there's a lot about your bio that just stood out to me. Uh, not only you being a pastor, pastor, but, you know, information you had out there about yourself and how you came to your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why don't you share that? with my audience, if you don't mind. Sure. I'll try to try to share my testimony briefly. Always a privilege to do so. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I was raised uh, religiously, thought good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. Thought I was a, of course, I thought I was a good person that would go to heaven. Uh, never really meet people that recognize they're bad people that think they're going to go to hell. And some friends, I was a school teacher, were inviting me to church. And I didn't really think that I needed to go because, again, I thought I was a good person. And then my brother died of an, uh, unexpectedly of a drug overdose. And these same friends at, at the school, there was a teacher, a couple teachers, and an, my assistant principal that all went to the same church. They'd been asking me to go to church. And then when my brother passed, they said, hey, now you really should come because our pastor lost his brother when he was about your age. And so they said, why don't you come to our church and why don't you talk to our pastor? Because I was struggling with my brother's death. I didn't go and have any expectation of becoming a Christian or being born again or getting saved. Those weren't terms that I knew. Again, I was already convinced that I would go to heaven. And so I go to church just to talk to this pastor and he starts preaching from the Bible. He, I didn't even, I didn't even go, I didn't even bring a Bible with me to church. Someone gave me a Bible when I got there and the pastor told us to open to a chapter, which I had trouble finding. He read a verse, explained it, read a verse, explained it expositionally. And it was life-changing. It was just, I thought for the first time that God was speaking to me through the word of, 
through his word. And I was already looking forward to coming back the next Sunday. I didn't even get to talk to the pastor that Sunday, but I was already excited about returning the following Sunday to hear, to worship and to hear from God again uh, through the scriptures. I heard the gospel soon after that and was convicted of my, it bore witness to me. Uh, you know, God opened my heart to the gospel. I saw my sinfulness and need for Christ, uh, got saved. And then by the time I did get to talk to the pastor about my brother, that, that was an encouragement, but I saw that God really brought me there that day through my brother's passing uh, to save me, to bring him into a relationship with him. And then soon after that, I was, I always loved teaching elementary school and coaching, but I found my passion for teaching decreasing and my passion. Well, let me say this. I found my passion for teaching the Bible. I want to be, I want to tell people to open their Bibles versus tell students to open their math books. And then God opened the door for me to go into ministry. And that was, uh, you know, 15 years ago. So. Wow. You know, just to see that how the Lord has worked in your life. And, uh, you know, that's all we have to do. A lot of times we try to do God's work for, but, you know, if we just present the gospel to people, the Lord will speak through his word. And uh, I love your testimony. I love to see what he's done in your life. And I love the fact that you're still teaching. You're still teaching. That's what I am. I'm a teacher. Yes. By heart. (laughs) Oh, so let's talk about, marriage. You know, uh, back in the day, you know, people just seem to be married longer. Today, it kind of seems to be not so much the norm. You know, before we started here, I told you this is, this week is me and my wife's 27th wedding anniversary. It just seems like we got married yesterday. But what are some common marriage problems that young people are facing today and how can they move past those problems? Very good. Well, I'm going to share something. And I think if people can understand, if people can understand this, it's a, it can actually be a paradigm shift. I don't think that people typically have marriage problems. Like mm-hmm. they think they do. They have symptoms of, they have horizontal symptoms of a vertical problem. And what I mean by that is our marriages are reflections of our relationships with Christ. And so mm. I, I, I'm commanded to love my wife. If I love Christ, I'm going to love my wife because I want to serve Christ. I want to obey him. So let's just say that I'm upset with Katie. I have a, I have a, a great wife, but we don't have a perfect marriage. We, and, you know, anyone listening to this should understand there are no perfect marriages. I don't Amen have a perfect marriage. Yeah, we have, we have uh, conflicts. And so if, if Katie and I are having a conflict, it comes to mind that God has commanded me in Ephesians 5.25 to love my wife as Christ loves the church and gave himself for her. Well, in that moment, I don't feel like loving my wife. But if I love Christ, I'm going to love Katie. Now, the Bible commands wives to submit to their husbands. And so there are times Katie doesn't want, she might not feel like showing me respect, or she might not feel like following my lead in the relationship. But if she wants to serve Christ, so I tell wives, you don't submit to your husband because your husband is always going to make the right decision, or he's always going to love you perfectly, or he's always going to treat you the way you want to be treated. You submit to your husband because you want to submit to Christ. And I tell husbands, you don't love your wife because she's always lovable or because she deserves it or because she's always respecting you the way you want to be respected. You love your wife because you love Christ and you want to please him. And we, re- we really cannot draw on our feelings or emotions toward our spouse in those moments when we are in, in an argument. Because at that moment, we're upset with our spouse. We can't rely Absolutely. on them. We can't rely on the way we feel about our spouse because the feel in right mind, whenever you're angry, you're not in your right mind <laughs> yeah. to, to be able to make the best decisions. And you don't want to make a decision on your wife or anything else important in your life while you're upset. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you need to draw on another relationship, and that's your relationship with Christ. And so I tell husbands, a husband says, you know what, I don't feel like submitting to my wife, or I don't feel like loving my wife. She doesn't deserve it. And I'll say, you know what, your wife doesn't deserve your love. She's a, she's a sinner, but Christ deserves your love. A wife will say, I don't want to respect my husband. He did this and he did that and and he doesn't deserve my respect. And I'll say, you know what? Your husband doesn't deserve your respect. He doesn't deserve your submission, but Christ does. So think about what Christ has done for you and allow that to give you what's necessary uh, in your relationship with your spouse. And so our marriages are really outpourings or our marriages overflow from our relationship with Christ. And that's why I tell people that most marriage problems are actually symptoms. The problem is in our relationship with Christ. And so people will come into my office and I'll I'll present, I'll give you a scenario. And this husband sits down and the wife sits on the other side of the couch and they won't even look at each other and their arms are crossed. And the husband's all upset about what his wife's doing. And the wife's all upset about what her husband's doing. And they tell me all these terrible things about each other. And then I'll ask him something like, what does your devotional time look like? What does your prayer life look like? What does your involvement in the body of Christ look like? And they'll kind of look at me quizzically like, are you paying attention to what we just said? You know, and, and oh, I just, you are, you are, I, you're, you're laser focused on your pastor. Go ahead. You're so it's like, did you hear what I just said that my husband's been screaming at me? And the, and the husband says, did you hear what I just said that my wife just disrespects me, you know, makes fun of me in front of my friend of my friends. And, and I'll say, yeah, I did. I did hear you share all that. And that's why I asked you about your relationship with Christ, because I'm convinced that once this vertical is is improved, then the horizontal with your spouse is going to be improved. And so I often point people, if I can get people's relationship with Christ to grow, then I often see their relationship with their spouse grow. And so that's why I point Amen. people toward I point people toward family worship. I'm a big advocate of family worship couples or families you know we have nine kids and uh, i mean just a, just as a brief comment about that you know it's, it's not you hear you hear that someone has nine kids and then you think that they want to have all these kids and i mean we're thankful for each other but i i wouldn't say we wanted or tried to have all these kids what i would say is we just wanted god to give us the kids he wanted to give us and we wanted to get to the end of our lives and feel like he had his fingerprints on our family and so he's given us nine kids he could have given us three you know he'll He'll probably give us more. Maybe we'll see. But we just wanted God, and it's not a commentary on what other people do, but we just wanted God to give us what he wanted to give us. But anyway, having nine kids for Bible study, you know, and our oldest is 14, our youngest is only a few months old. You can imagine our family worship looks pretty wild and chaotic at times, you know, trying to get all these kids to sit still and listen to me. They listen to me, <laughs> listen to me on Sunday, got to listen to me during the week. And so they can get pretty antsy and, and bored. And, but I think it's really important for families to be gathered around the word of God during the week. I think it's important for families to pray together. And so those are things that I really push on people to see their their marriages improve. Rare, rare is the couple, if there if even is one, that can read the Bible together and not see an improved relationship. Oh, I love that. Bob's and dads, I hope you hear that out there. Uh, we all can take stock and we all can learn from that. So, Pastor, I'm going to make a slight move. I just kind of want to dive into this a little bit deeper because that there are probably ways that they could grow in this and women could grow in this too. I, what I'm hearing from you is that basically we have to move ourselves out of the way and allow what Christ wants to prevail in our lives. I, I know as a man, respect is important to us. Love is important to wives. And it, 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 isn't it marvelous? Not funny, but isn't it marvelous how God asks us to do the opposite of 
of ourselves. And that calls for making a sacrifice, Pastor. Mm-hmm. You know, for to put your wife first and say, you know what, I'm gonna love you as Christ loves the church, is to put her first mm-hmm. and foremost. Mm-hmm. And when you're mad, yeah, that can be hard, but that's something that we need to do. And, and that's a way for a man to grow, is it not, Pastor? Yeah, and I mean the the, the verse says uh, famously it's the it's one of the premier verses associated with with marriage because it's the verse that you know the first marriage was Adam and Eve and then God says um, that man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and and God said that about Adam and Eve which is odd because they're the only two people that did not have a father and mother and so God didn't say that to Adam and Eve for Adam and Eve he said that to Adam and Eve for every subsequent relationship every subsequent marriage and then pete and then paul pulls that forward and christ also says it in the gospels that a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the reason i mentioned in that is, is is associated with what you just said you said that a man needs to put his wife first well the reason that it says a man leaves his father and mother for his wife is that if a man if god expects a man to leave his father and mother for his wife the implication is there is nothing and nobody that he would not leave his wife for that she would be the premier that she she would be the premier relationship in his life and so the you know you say well why did god say leave father and mother why didn't he say leave you know enlist anything else cuz that's as high as he could go he's like you're going to leave your father and mother there's nothing that you shouldn't leave for your wife and so i talk to guys and they you know if a guy doesn't want to leave his his car or his video games or his sports I'm like, hey, God expects you to leave your parents for your wife. You didn't. You need to drop this stuff and put her in the premier position in your life. She needs to be the supreme relationship ahead of everything and anything else. And for a lot of guys, the wife isn't second to another woman. I mean, I'm not. I'm not denying that there can be adultery and a man could, you know, have another woman in his life. But most of the guys that I found, the wife feels like second place, not to a woman, but to a hobby or to an activity, and he needs to put her ahead of that. <laughs> uh, absolutely, Pastor. We we do, and we, we must, and that's what makes it so so difficult, is to put somebody else ahead of ourselves. But, you know, I, I get a lot of ladies uh, that have talked to me and say, well, you know, I don't like the word submission. And I said, look at it this way. It's about respect. One of the biggest things for a man is respect. And that's kind of what it's about. Here's another way that you can look at it. It simply means, at least in my household, me and my wife sit down and we make a decision together as one. But somebody's got to take that first step, you know, out the door. And you probably uh, can, can empathize with this. It's sort of like cover two. When I step out the door, we made a decision. I step out the door. I can step out the door because my wife has my back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so when we make a decision, I step out. And, and then sometimes we make a decision and it, she has the gifting in that area. And I say, okay, honey, yeah, you, you go forth over there and I cover her. It's one watching the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, am I wrong here? Or? Yeah. So Gen- you're making you're making a good point. Genesis two eighteen. You know, God creates everything on every day. At the end of each day, He looks and sees that it was good, and He says that over and over again. And then the first time in the creation account that God sees something that is not good was when man was alone. It says, you know, it is not good that man should be alone. I will create him a helper that is equal or comparable to him. And it's interesting to think about something being not good prior to the fall, because we tend to think everything was good until sin took place. So 
So the fact that it was not good for man to be alone, it wasn't because Adam had sinned or that there was anything wrong with him. It's just that God looked basically, uh, you know, sometimes women kind of cringe at that title being called helper, but it's actually an acknowledgement of a man's inadequacy or insufficiency. So the fact that Mm -hmm. the fact that God said, I will make him a helper says more about a man than it does about a woman. It says that he needs help. It's almost like God looked down at us, Stan, and said, you guys aren't going to make it. And so I need to I need to give you a helper. Now, one of the ways that, that wives help their husbands is they provide counsel. They provide thoughts. My wife regularly tells me, you know, you should not have said that. When we were out with those people, that sounded rude. It seemed like you were not listening. You were being insensitive. Mm-hmm. I think you should do this. I think you should do that. And so it would be a very foolish man who would reject his wife's counsel. But if we kind of continue with that analogy you use, um, so being being the head, is, which is what 1 Corinthians 11 and Ephesians 5 call the husband, there's there's no, I mean, some, you know, I don't know if anyone's listening to this and they might cringe a little at what I'm saying. You know, you can read some of these verses. <laughs> you can read some of these verses a thousand times. They still say the same thing. They say the husband is the head of the relationship. You know, you can't you can't smooth it out or soften it down and make it say something else. That's what it says. What, what does that mean for the husband to be the head? Well, he has his helper and they talk through and he listens to his wife's thoughts. But in considering your scenario, when a husband and wife have talked things through and a husband has heard all of his wife's thoughts and they still can't come to an agreement, an, a decision has to be made. God has decided so that the relationship can go forward. That responsibility is on the husband's shoulders. And so after a husband has listened to his wife, I mean, what's the alternative? You know, are they going to do paper, rock, scissors? Are they going to flip a coin? <laughs> no. Instead, God says that the husband will be the decision maker. He will decide. And then the wife has the responsibility to put herself behind him and support that decision that he's made. Now, Sometimes we kind of buck against the word submission, but I just want people to think about something for a moment. If you imagine any scenario, any organization, any team, any business, there's president, vice president, there's pilot, co-pilot, there's head coach, assistant coach. Uh, you go in the operating room, there's head surgeon, and, and then there's nurses, or there's the assist. There's not two head surgeons. You don't want to go get operated on by two head surgeons. There's You don't go and see a principal, two head principals. There's principal, assistant principal. So my point is this. We recognize the need for headship or submission in every other area of life. There is no area of life where we see two heads. And so the thing that is kind of odd to me, Stan, is that while we recognize the need for headship and submission in every other area of life, all of those relationships, principal, vice principal, pilot, Mm co-pilot, president, vice president, they all involve headship and submission. Why would we think that that wouldn't also be part of the marriage relationship? Now, just because there's a president and a vice president, it doesn't mean that the president is superior to the vice president or better than him or that the vice president is inferior to the president. Any more than when I was a school teacher and my students were expected to submit to me, it didn't mean that I was superior to them. It doesn't mean when when citizens submit to their government that they're inferior to their government. Now, one of the really interesting things to consider about submission, who is the most submissive person who has ever lived? It was Christ. Jesus Christ. He, he spent his life and he repeatedly said, I have come to this earth not to do my will, but to do the will of my father or to do the will of him who sent me. He's in the garden. He does not want to go to the cross because of what's involved. I mean, he was he w- he willingly went to the cross, but he was mm-hmm. not he was not sadistic. He was not looking forward to the torture. 
And he says, but not my will, but let your will be done. His life from beginning to end was a life of perfect submission. So here's my point. If we say that submission is equated with inferiority, then we would also have to say that God the Son is incredibly inferior to God the Father. But if we can acknowledge that God the Father and God the Son are equal, which they are within the triune Godhead, then we also have to acknowledge that a husband and wife are equal, even though they have different roles, responsibilities, and authority within the relationship. And at the same time, what you said earlier, so that you guys out there don't get a big head and think much more of yourselves than you should, is that we're not complete without our wife. Uh, If you want to go out there and make a decision in an incomplete status, then that's going to be problematic on your family. But you, you ought to seek to be complete with your wife and, and talk before you make any type of decision, because I feel that that's what God wants. And, and I, I tell you, Pastor, there's times when uh, my wife, I may be out of town and something comes up and you know what? I, I got to talk to my wife. Mm-hmm. I know I'm the head, but I got to talk to my wife. I, well, I got to hear her on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would discourage, I would, I would caution any husband. Any husband who feels strongly, any when men come to talk to me, this happens for I mean, I'm a pastor. People want counsel for me. They, they rarely do people come to me with black and white easy questions. They don't come to me and say, "Who is who is King David's son again?" You if know, only, only. <laughs> yeah, they're like, it, "Who are the inner three disciples?" It was Peter, James, and who's the third one? You know, it's never like easy. It's always like, "Should I take this job? Should we move here? Should we do this?" And it's always really difficult decisions that I can't that I have a really hard time answering or many times don't feel like I can answer, but I can say this to a husband. I'll say, what does your wife say? What does your wife think? And any man that tells me my wife does not think we should do this. She's strongly opposed. I would say you really need to consider your wife's thoughts on this because God often Mm -hmm. wants to direct husbands or work through the wife to influence and counsel the husband. And so rare is the decision that I would make that Katie was strongly opposed to. Now there have been a few times when we talked, I heard her thoughts and I had to do what I thought was best for our family, but you don't lay the submission card down lightly. You know, rarely do you say you're just going to have to submit to me and go along with this. Most of the time you're really valuing your your wife's thoughts. And a lot of times God is speaking through that, through that woman of God. And uh, you, you as husbands need to take the time to listen. You know, I, when I was a street officer, I had a police officer. I'm honorably retired now, but I was asked if I wanted to do an undercover deal that I went, like all things, and talked to my wife about it. And it's the only thing during my whole law enforcement career here now of nearly 30 years where she said, no, absolutely not. And I heard God coming through her voice. They said, okay, that's the decision. Then I went back and I told them, my answer is no, but I got that word from God through my wife. All right, that concludes part one of a two-part interview with Pastor Scott. And Pastor Scott, I want to thank you again. Uh, parents, guardians, please check out the podcast description because Pastor Scott has some awesome links for you and you will find them there in the podcast description. So please don't skip over that and be back for part two of my two-part interview with Pastor Scott LaPierre. Until that time, 
God bless.